anyway, we really do appreciate your time today, Mr. Frank. We really enjoy your work. Both of us have been so inspired by your writings and obviously growing up in Johnson County, uh, you know, just kind of been a fixture. So uh, we're so pleased to have you on today. Well, it's my pleasure. Um, did you have any uh, questions for us before we go ahead and uh, get started? Not really. I mean, we're going to talk about this new book of mine, right? That we're that's popular. Correct. Yeah. Well, that's I'm I'm totally ready to talk about that. You. <laughs> All right. There, you know what's funny is I I sort of expected a lot more interest in it from people in Kansas City and and mm. um, or in, from the state of Kansas, and there's been like zero. Well, I mean, that's actually. Actual- there's been some, right? But but like none of the local uh, media. I mean, the Star didn't review it, you know. Um, yeah. Well, the Star's kind of gone downhill. I mean, they print in <laughs> Iowa now, <laughs> know. like you know. What? I mean, They're yeah. printed in Iowa? Yeah, they got rid of all this. They've 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 really reduced their staff. They're not in the Star Building anymore. Obviously, so I know I knew about that. Uh, you know, and I know, but they they sold the building and all that. But yeah. Um, I did not print it in. I, they, they they are owned by a hedge fund, for God's sakes. Yeah. I did not know they were printed in Iowa. That's shameful. Yeah. It's yeah. Disgraceful. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that was, uh, you know, so compelling to us is the fact that, you know, we were that exact target mo- uh, market audience that you were referring to that you were hoping to find. I mean, you know, my whole life, I've sort of like kind of mumbled under my breath that I'm from Kansas. Right. You know, it was one of the things that if you're like in left circles, you kind of look over your shoulders, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you, you oh, yeah. You know, I'm from the Midwest. You know, you can imply you're from like Chicago or something, you know, like, <laughs> you know, um, so you just, you know. Being from Kansas was something that you always, you know, you were like, yeah, yeah, yeah I, know. Mar- I, yeah, I know. My parents I'm, are, you know, me. I, I know, I know what I, I know what you mean, and um, and I, I feel often like I owe the state an apology for that because I often find that it's that 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 people think that that's what that's what what's the matter with Kansas was, and they they think that because all they, all they, know they never read it. it, right? They know, but they read the title. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and probably saw the cover too. Uh, I remember when I was like yeah, a kid yeah, yeah. seeing on my parents' coffee table that cover, and I thought it was hilarious that the like uh, the elephant was like crushing the donkey, not even really knowing like the significance or anything about what the book was. That mem- image always stayed in my mind. Uh, so it was a good you know, image. It, I have oh, to, uh, the the woman who did the book cover that was kind of brilliant. That was uh, yeah. Yeah. That uh, well. Yeah. We want to make sure to give you a, a proper intro, Mr. Frank. So for people who oh, are, you might, you might want to do that. Um, for people who are, are tuning in, uh, we're joined today by a special uh, guest. We're uh, is, uh, Mr. Thomas Frank, author of uh, numerous books. We mentioned What's the Matter with Kansas, his most recent book, The People Know, Listen Liberal, Pity the Billionaire, uh, One Market Under God, all books that are currently sitting on my bookshelf, as well as a stack of uh, The Baffler, which he uh, was one of the co-founding editors of. I mean, this is a, a real uh, treat of a conversation for me and Gavin. We're super excited uh, to talk to you. And one of the things that I mentioned, I don't know if this will be in the final version early, from earlier or not, but the fact that, you know, reading your uh, books and, you know, finding out that there was somebody, you know, from Mission Hills, for Christ's sake, that had, you know, similar politics to my own and, you know, had been able to advocate them on a, a large scale. You know, um, we mentioned that being from Kansas was something that you sort of, you know, mumbled under your breath, something that wasn't something that you wanted to advertise uh, publicly. 
Um, you know, but when I was reading, especially your most recent book, which goes into the deep history of the, uh, you know, the People's Party, the Farmers Alliance and the progressive populism that sort of erupted in Western Kansas and Nebraska in the uh, late 1800s, uh, I guess a good place to start and uh, where your book does would be with, uh, you know, that uh, that burgeoning movement that occurred in the uh, 18, uh, largely in the 1890s and, you know, has so many uh, stark parallels to the kind of development that we're seeing today. A lot of parallels, but also a lot of um, a lot of misleading, uh, you know, a lot of misleading parallels. So uh, you know the, the the word that these guys invented, and it was it's one of the very few things that Kansas has has done right, <laughs> is is they they invented the word populist. These guys on a train one day in 1891, they were traveling between Kansas City and Topeka, and they were trying to come up with a name, a nickname for supporters of this brand new third party movement that they had just started and that had was was sort of tearing through Kansas like a prairie fire at the time and the word was populist and then populism followed shortly thereafter and uh, uh, you know how this word is abused now uh, for God's sakes just before I, uh, I, I dialed you guys up on my computer I was watching a documentary uh, where you know about the Trump years, and uh, the, you know whoever is uh, narrating the documentary is talking about how dreadful it is that we're in a populist moment, and what he means by that is that we're in a racist moment. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, you know, and uh, uh, I, you know, it, every time I see, and look, I, 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 I seek these things out in order to write about them, but they make it makes me so mad. Yeah, because it, you know. Uh, uh, when I was your age, I didn't know a whole lot about the nuts and bolts of populism, the details of it, but I knew it existed. And then I knew it was on the left and I knew it wasn't like a racist movement. <laughs> you yeah. know, I knew that when I was a teenager, everybody in Kansas does or not, not everybody. I take that back. They, they often, you find that they don't know that, but uh, uh, I, you know, I don't even remember where I, where I learned about it, but um, it was anyhow, uh, populism, was this left-wing political phenomenon in the 1890s and Kansas was its best state. Uh, this is the state where they went farthest. They had, I think two governors of the state were populists. They had US senators, members of Congress, you know, uh, they dominated the legislature for a while. All, they did all those things. They, they, were, they, they caught on in other states as well, Texas, Nebraska, all over the place, Oklahoma, uh, which wasn't a state yet, but uh, anyhow, they had a, the, but all over the South, all over the Plains, Idaho, Colorado, all over the place in the West. Only part of the country where they didn't catch on was the Northeast. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> funny how that and, works. Yeah, yeah. And now, it's, of course, everything's the other way around, right? They're always lecturing us, right? Anyhow, yeah. they, they, <laughs> uh, that was populism. And the word today is just so, you know, uh, it's abused so widely. Um, that it's it's you know it kind of dro drove me crazy and it's why I wound up having to write this book uh, sort of setting the record straight and also asking how did this happen how did this word that was so um, noble you know and uh, uh, you know a fine Jeffersonian word how did this how did this come to mean something so dreadful you know it, it's a good question 
Mm-hmm. Anyhow, yeah. so that's that's it, that's what the it, book is about. It seems somewhat of an international effort too, because it's not just here in America where you know populist movements are demonized as racist or xenophobic. Also, uh, in, no, it's, in, a, it's it's mainly a European usage. Yeah, and especially so what, what with we saw with them. The word was invented in America. It's an American word. It's not Latin. It is mm-hmm. Kansan, <laughs> and and uh, I discovered what you just what you just mentioned that it's that this is how they use it in Europe uh, in the year uh, I think it was the year two thousand. So I had just written a book. I used to throw the word populism around a lot, but mm-hmm. always to mean a variation on the real deal. Yeah, uh, and uh, uh, you know maybe I was a little too open handed about it, and I would use it uh, a little too indiscriminately. But I but I knew what it actually meant i knew what it really meant and i knew that these other like there there were other movements that are like fake versions of that which is what trumpism is by the way but anyhow i remember i I was at an academic conference in europe in the year 2000 and i had just put out this book one market of god you mentioned it before yeah i've got it right here it's 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 good if you're if you're in 1990s which is uh, pretty much before your time right Uh, yeah i was born in 98 Okay, so yeah, <laughs> that's when I was writing it. <laughs> Anyhow, it was a, uh, it was uh, th- there was this this kind of phony populism that was everywhere in the culture at the time. Like always talking about markets as the voice of the people, and markets were like <laughs> going to achieve equality, and you know all of this kind sort of sort of like West Wing logic. Yeah, but it it was a. Uh, I hate to say this, but it was slightly more subtle. I mean, the, you know, this, I'm talking about like business, business culture, business mm-hmm. propaganda. So I would watch, this is when CNBC got started. And I would watch CNBC all the time. And, and, and this is where I got all these ideas from. Anyhow, so I was at this academic conference in Europe and I was talking about what I called market populism, this version of fi- this fake populism where, where they would claim that markets were the ally of the working class and all, you know, this crazy nonsense right and that markets were going to empower the little people and market you know all of this stuff and uh i noticed at this conference i was the only one there that knew what populism actually was (laughs) and and they were all using the word as a synonym for racist demagogue and i was like that's really weird but i was a very polite young man back then and so i didn't really um I didn't really say anything about that, but uh, it 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 uh, it grew and grew and grew, and then that European definition somehow got transplanted back to America just here in the last ten years. Well, probably because of Brexit now, in part, which you know was exactly uh, Brexit and Brexit and Trump. Yeah, but the uh, the, the uh, it's all of these European scholars who now teach here in America, and this is how they use the word, and now it's been adopted by both you know the 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 two leading newspapers of America the New York Times and the Washington Post, and that's exclusively how they use it. Uh, and it's just, it, it absolutely drives me crazy. So that's why I had to write this book, you know. How well, the it, hell did this happen? <laughs> well, it seems like you've been writing about at least broadly the populist moment for a while. I, I believe if I'm not mistaken, and what's the matter with Kansas, you talk about William Jennings Bryan and uh, the populist uh, uh, movement yes. then yes. as well. well and it's, it it's, like- it's, it's who we are. It, populism gets at who we are, not just as, as people from Kansas are, are, it's in their blood, it's in our, but it's also Americans. Mm-hmm. It's, it's who we are, even if we don't know anything about it. Uh, it's, it's so essential to how we understand ourselves and our culture. Uh, and it, it, you know, 
Okay, but keep going. I'm sorry I interrupted. No, no, not at all. What I was just getting at was the fact that you seem to have been largely successful in your effort to reintroduce this into the conversation. You look at people from our generation. I mean, Gavin and I thoughtlessly uh, made our Twitter bio a progressive populist podcast. You know, that's kind of how we view ourselves, you know. Uh, there's, nothing you know there's nothing wrong with that. Right. And, and I think largely that's because of the writing that you've done. You look at, you know, shows like Rising, which are tremendously popular and, you know, uh, people have mixed opinions on the framework of left and right wing populism. And, you know, you can have valid criticisms of horseshoe theory. But I think that it shows uh, largely that this is a new positive reception, that there's a reclamation process of this term uh, populism, which I think you have, you know, a, a lot of credit to, to take for. Oh, well, that's very that's very nice of you. I, I uh, it, what's funny is I. Uh, Nobody, a reclamation project is exactly right. And, but it's, uh, you know, I'm having a lot of trouble with this book. Well, it, it came out in COVID time. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I have not been able to um, sort of uh, punch my way through into the main, mainstream of the sort of national conversation this time, as I have always been able to do in the past. This time I'm not, and I and I really don't understand why. Because, like you just said, this is this is a book that is it's timely and it's uh it's about something that everybody is saying a word that's on everybody's lips and it presents a kind of counterintuitive uh, way of you know it's calling us back to something that we all know is true. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody knows in their heart that this stuff is true, and it's calling us back to that you know to that path of righteousness. But I, for for whatever reason. Um, the message of this book is really disturbing to, um, and I, I hate to say this, but mainstream media. Yeah. I, I, when I was younger, I swore I would never use that phrase, <laughs> but it's like, uh, you know, because it's so imprecise, you know, but um, it's, you well, know, yeah, it's, it's threatening true. to the corporate rule, right? This plutocracy of, yeah, you know, there's, there's something about this, about talking about this part of our history that is really disturbing. And there's there's all kinds of books that have come out just here in the last four years in the years, the era of Trump. I described some of them in the last chapter of the book. Revisit history of progressivism. There's a whole genre of this. Mm -hmm. And this is a, well, this is an old genre. I mean, historians have been doing this for a long time, but there's a new kind of on it. And this new take never mentions populism and never mentions the labor movement and never mentions economic protest in general. And that's really strange. Uh, but that's where we are now. And so it's very difficult for people who consider themselves, even people who consider themselves on the left, to talk about this stuff. It's, uh, it's uncomfortable for them. Um, you know, because these are people, I'm describing people that we think of as Trump voters. And I'm saying that they have that there is a radicalism beneath the surface in these people. And if you talk to them in the right way and you present, uh, you know, these are good people. I mean, okay, I'm not talking about the criminals that just ransacked sure. yeah, the Capitol no, building. I, I understand <laughs> yeah. exactly where you're coming from. I'm not from. talking about those guys that marched in Charlottesville. But I'm you're 100% about... correct, though. I mean, if we don't reach out to those people as a left, if we don't, you know, make agrarian reform and, and breaking up big ag and, you know, making those things centered to the conversation, just like breaking yeah. up big tech, you know, those voters are going to go to guys like Josh Hawley, you know, faux populist, you yes. know, neo-fascist. That's right. And it's and it's 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 awful. And uh, I mean, one of the th things I've just been following here in the last few days is all of these. Uh, and I don't want to go off on a tangent here. I want to talk about the book. But all of these all of these sort of uh, left wing pundits who say that there's something really wrong 
with talking about economic anxiety. Uh, and, and, and the idea being that economic, economic anxiety somehow led to Trump. Well, it's like, I'm sorry, guys. It's like it, every election ever since the beginning of time, we talk about what we call, you know, kitchen table issues <laughs> you know? and who's up and who's down and how's the economy doing. We always talk about that. Uh, you know, of course, it had something to do with Trump's election. It has something to do with every election. The idea that this is for some reason now this is this is Im an impermissible subject. It just it, it blows my mind. It's like, how can this how can this how could how could someone on the left think that and no. and it's this is all it's a piece with the changes that that are going on all around us with the democratic party becoming the party of wealthy people and of the of the you know the professional elite you know they don't want to talk about those issues anymore because those issues are very uncomfortable for them you know anyhow that's I, yeah. I, i'm getting pretty far afield here and i'm i, I want to talk what, about what you guys want to talk about i have a tendency to just blab if you don't stop me oh you're, so. you're totally good we appreciate <laughs> we appreciate the long form conversation a lot um By one way, thing Gavin, I, I really like your wall hanging oh thanks so much man i really appreciate that <laughs> I, 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 I can't have things like that in my house i have children so <laughs> as soon as i saw it i knew i had to buy it i knew it was be perfect for our background but i appreciate that Bye. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I, I did want to um, get your opinion on um, that I thought of while I was reading the people know, and it's something that you mentioned fairly early on is the electoral college and the fact that it was, you know, originally created as an instrument, an anti-populist instrument. And I think yeah. one of the most profound ironies of the Trump era of the Trump administration is that his election is blamed uh, on populism. But in fact, he was he didn't even win the popular vote. Yeah, I, know, I know, I know, it's, it's highly but ironic. But there, really there, are so, there are so many ironies like that. Once you, yeah. once you get started, once you start looking for them, yeah. I'll give you another one that this one always makes me chuckle. I mean, well, the big one is that he's elected with famously with a lot of votes from white working class people. And then what does he proceed to do? I mean, these incredible favors for the rich, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and he, okay. So that one of the ironies that did really uh, uh, brings a smile to my face is this woman that he, he appointed to the federal reserve board and her big cause in life is to bring back the gold standard. <laughs> You know, which is like this populists hated the gold standard. OK, actually, I had a question uh, about this for you. Uh, I wanted to ask because uh, you talked uh, uh, about the the free silver movement, obviously, was very yeah. uh, a critical element of the 1896 election with Williams yeah. Jennings Bryan. He was running as a Democrat, but he also had the support of uh, the People's Party and the populist movement. And what they had agreed on, you know, was their unifying issue was this free silver movement. Uh, for yeah. people who are listening in, that uh, there was a, a high, a high amount, larger amount of silver in uh, circulation than gold, obviously. So uh, it would have uh, freed up uh, funds, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, for well, it's it's real simple, actually. Gold is deflationary because gold is, mm -hmm. and uh, and so the amount of it in circulation doesn't increase very much. I mean, this is this the same today, and the population back then was growing. Right. rapidly and the economy was growing rapidly and so the supply but the supply of money was not it couldn't grow because it's gold and mm -hmm. so therefore you have uh, terrible deflation which means that prices go down and if you're a debtor which farmers are if you borrow money you're uniquely screwed in such a situation but silver is inflationary because there's lots of it in America and so that you know they can always find more and and you know crank out you know more money and so uh, silver would have kept up with the, the growth in population. That's Which, that's all it was. It's real simple. 
Mm-hmm. Actually, that's probably not simple. <laughs> no, one, of, no. one of them is inflationary. The other one is deflationary. And so the, the rich people wanted deflation and the, and the poor people wanted inflation. That's all it was. Uh, right. And the United States obviously stayed on the gold standard until 71 under Nixon. And now we're under the petrodollar. Um, what I wanted to ask you about, though, was this free, this uh, line between free silver and uh, what strikes me as like an odd parallel between free silver and UBI. And I don't know if this is completely out of left field, but it seems like one of those things where it's a good compromise. But in the long run, it's not a solution. So, you know, for, for example, yeah. like free silver would have been immediately beneficial to those farmers in 1890. However, when Nixon took us off the petrodollar in 71, it was it was, you know, it, it, about to start one of the greatest like, you know, the uh, 70s and then the 80s there was a recession period right um so i'm yes, wondering but th- there there's an intervening step here which is when roosevelt roosevelt took us off the gold standard in 33 it was like it was actually at about this it was like you know like he was where biden is today it was like his mm-hmm. like first week in office and he took us off the gold standard and when he did it uh you know people didn't know to they didn't know he was going to do this it was a surprise and uh, one of his chief economic advisors went got hysterical and said, this is the end of Western civilization. (laughs) And which is the classic anti-populist line that gold Mm -hmm. is the great pillar of civilization. But okay, but you're exactly right that it was a compromise. Um, It was a free silver was a compromise step. What your real hardcore populist wanted was what's called fiat currency, which is what we have to what what, we have and what the Europeans have and everybody has today. People learned about that when they learned about Bitcoin, because Bitcoin is not fiat currency. Right. Exactly. So what would what would happen if you put your nation on a Bitcoin standard? Well, you'd be screwed. Yeah. (laughs) But but anyhow, it was. Yes, it was. It was a compromise. It was a tactical maneuver by the, the populace. Populist Party. Uh, so William Jennings Bryan supported silver, and it had this whole uh, symbolism that d- became associated with it: silver good, gold evil, this kind of thing. And for the Republicans, it was the other way around. Mm-hmm. Uh, silver was the metal of poor people, you know. And it's like it's like Mexico has a silver standard, but we are not like them, you know. That it was it, vaguely racist and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And um, I say vaguely, it was it was the, the Republicans were Straight pretty up. much open, openly yeah. racist. <laughs> yeah, but they uh, uh, but the, so the populists knew that Brian wasn't going far enough and they knew that he wasn't with them on their other reforms that they wanted to do. They had a whole lot of reforms that were quite radical. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, uh, but they said, this is our chance. Uh, so let's get behind him. And it failed. I mean, he lost, which was a surprise. And uh, everybody thought he was a man of destiny, like an Abraham Lincoln, you know, mm-hmm. kind of figure. And they thought he was they thought he was going to win and he didn't. And uh, and that killed them because then they immediately, you know, th- like their leadership had betrayed them. You know, they they, they immediately start infighting. Uh, Just like all good leftists. Right. They <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Other. It's such a problem. <laughs> it's actually, it's such a sad it's like it's another reason that people should study this this movement, yeah. because it, it did come apart. Uh, in this sort of classic left wing way, which is so unpleasant. And also then they had a lot of. Um, well, the, another uh, I mean, aside from there's a lot of reasons to study populism, but another really important lesson is one of their great leaders, uh, Tom Watson, went uh, basically went became this really awful racist, mm-hmm. uh, you know, completely changed his uh, stripes. 
and went from being the, like this leader of, uh, you know, pushing for uh, interracial cooperation and black, poor blacks and poor whites need to get together and all this stuff and doing these great things. And after, you know, uh, losing and he lost and he lost and he lost, you know, and, and, uh, and he, he never got anywhere. And, and he had, he had worked really hard populist movement and look at his, his life was in ruins, et cetera. And he sort of goes quiet for a couple of years. And when he comes back, he's the biggest racist in the whole South. And it's like, it's like, whoa, you know, what yeah. the hell just happened? But this is typical, too. You see this with in the history of the left, mm -hmm. uh, that, uh, that people do this from time to time and they'll completely change sides. Uh, you know, the Jerry Rubin effect. Jerry Rubin, I was going to say, I mean, this is Christopher Hitchens did this. Oh, he, yeah. Hitchens a, definitely. Was a, did. Well, the whole new, well, th this is a really interesting thing to talk to you about that you mentioned that because Gavin and I both, I think, had our leftism heavily inspired by this quote unquote new atheist movement and our, you know, reactionary politics to the ultra conservative evangelical upbringing that we had. And Gavin, I think, can speak more to this than I can. Uh, but yeah. that fractured into the new left and the new right, essentially. Yeah. Yep. And also, uh, Zach, uh, I think you mean Dave Rubin. Did no, you mean David? no, no, no. He's, oh, okay. he's right about that. that uh, Jerry uh, Rubin Jerry was, Rubin a, was okay. the dude from Chicago 7. He was the yeah. friend. Oh, uh, okay. Abby, Abby Hoffman. Hoffman. Yeah. I thought you meant yeah. the, the dude on YouTube that like went from being a hardcore left winger to a hardcore right. No, no, overnight. but he also did that. Yeah, yeah I have steal this book on my shelf. Uh, it's uh, Abby Hoffman. Uh, it's a uh, uh, leftist hero for sure. Yeah, no, I, I forgot. Well, I, were, I, I have, forgot I have Jerry. I have Jerry Rubin books. Oh, the yuppie books? No, his 60s books. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So when I, well, I, my first book is about the 60s. It's called The Conquest of Cool. Oh, it's I about, haven't read that. I'll have to check yeah, that yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's, I'm very proud of that. It was my dissertation when I was in graduate school, but it involved me reading a whole lot of countercultural, you know, countercultural material. Mm -hmm. And I've got I've got boxes of it upstairs in the attic. But yeah, I've got like I've got all of I think I've got all of Abby Hoffman's books, including Revel. Oh, yeah, I Hell have yeah. a copy of that on my bookshelf right now. <gasps> this is it's quite rare. You know, you oh, have really? this. Let me see. There it is. That's right. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> awesome. Anyhow. Uh, well, I, I had another question for you that, uh, again, I, I've been dying to ask you since reading The People Know. And oh, wait, wait, it, stop. Well, I have oh, one sorry. more example. For, uh, oh, I, you're no, good. Just pause, pause, you're good. pause. Hold that. Hold that thought. Another example that one of the 60s generation was this guy called Eldridge Cleaver. Do you know who this is? He wrote a book called Soul on Ice. I'm familiar with the name Eldridge Cleaver, but I haven't read that book. A, I think he was a Black Panther. But he was a Black Panther, but he was he was a he was a gifted writer. Anyhow, when I was in high school. He came in the early years of the Reagan revolution. He came and spoke somewhere in Kansas City. I forget where. And I went to see him and he was wearing a really nice dark blue suit, white shirt, red tie. And he was a complete Reagan supporter. <laughs> How the hell yeah. did that happen? How did that happen? Anyhow. Oh, geez. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's always yeah. crazy when that kind of thing does happen. And yeah, for sure. I. Uh, but yeah, like I said, uh, while reading the people or the people know, you know, I wasn't even fully educated about the People's Party and the history of the populist movement in Kansas up until, um, you know, reading your account. So um, I was wondering if you had any thoughts about the modern day People's Party, which would be, you know, the movement for a People's Party uh, started by Nick Brana. They have, you know, plans to run candidates in 2022, I believe, at the congressional level. Um, 
so I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts about the legitimacy or viability of third party movements in the modern day. And, and if not, where, where do you see uh, a real populist energy being? Um, well, you know, I, look, I, I've, I've, I've spoken to them on, uh, on, uh, on the internet, the same as I'm talking to you and they're, they're mm-hmm. really good people. Yeah. And so of course I wish them success. And I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, my frustration with our two party system is, um, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty frustrated. Let's Me put too. It that way. Yeah. And I, and I, I think a third party would be extremely helpful right about now. I mean, you, one of the problems with the night with the two party system is that the two parties will come to consensus or agreement on something on some big issue of the day and refuse to debate it. Yeah. And you need, you need third parties to break the system yeah. open. Like and corporate the, America. Yeah. yeah. And in the 19th century, thir- this is why third parties used to happen from time to time. So famously, the two parties refused to debate slavery. Mm. Uh, and the, that's where, where the Republican Party yeah. came from. They were going to, you know, they're like, no, this is the main issue facing the country. Let's, let's, let's talk it over. Let's, yeah. let's get it out there. And, uh, and they, they killed the Whig Party. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then populism, and then the two parties were refusing to do anything about industrialization, what was happening to farmers and workers, you know, in the 1890s. This is when, you know, this is the first, or what did they call it? The second uh, industrial revolution, railroads, uh, steel mills, all of this stuff is happening. There's huge strikes, there's riots, there's, you know, uh, 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 you know farmers are in terrible, uh, t- in terrible trouble, all this, and the two parties refuse to talk about it refuse to do anything about it. And so there's this, there's this obvious need for a third party. And uh, the thing, and, and again, they did smash it wide open and they did introduce the, all of these um, subjects into the conversation and we never looked back, but we could use that now. The problem is that it's uh, after populism died, the two parties uh, took all of these steps to make sure that this would never happen again, mm-hmm. <clears throat> to uh, outlaw what they called fusion. So the populists used these various techniques in different states to win. And uh, there, a lot of those techniques are, uh, well, the fusion is against the law now. And there's no reason for that. There's no is it like fusion, fusion voting like they have in New York City, right. I think? New okay. York is one of the this few yeah. states that did not outlaw it because they never had populism there. <laughs> So yeah. there was never a real threat, but it's it's against the law all over the place. And it's silly. There's no reason for it to be against the law. But the problem with, with a third party is that you wind up if you don't have fusion, you wind up hurting the the, the main party that's closest to you. And so yeah. you wind up just like, you know, hurting your your own cause. So, uh, you know, there's got to be another way to do it. And that do was you think ranked choice voting plays into that. Ranked choice voting would also help. There's a lot of things you could do that would help. Uh, yeah. to reform the system but basically the way our system is set up now it's it's you know it's it's basically it's very very difficult to have a well, third party we talked about the uh, zach mentioned briefly you know kind of right-wing populists and left-wing populists and how some people have an issue with this kind of horseshoe uh theory of you know we're all kind of the same but what, what's your feeling on you know working across the aisle with other people that would also consider themselves populist to kind of form a third party that way. So it wouldn't necessarily be threatening the Democratic or Republican Party, but both. Do you think there's any well, viability? Or- I, I, so I, whenever people say that, they're usually talking about some figure who's who's really dreadful, uh, like a Josh Hawley kind of kind of guy. I mean, but look, if Josh Hawley is willing to vote for, you know, some, some Bernie Sanders measure, yeah. that's fine. Yeah. You know, that's look, every uh, every uh, uh, 
you know, reform in American history is done by a coalition of, 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 of saints and, and yeah. sinners, you know, these dreadful people <laughs> who are like, you go back and look at the, at the, at, you know, the 1960s, which is this great era of reform, not just the civil rights bills, but Lyndon Johnson is getting the great society done. He's getting Medicare done all of this stuff that, you know, environmentalism is coming up all of these things. And he, he got them done by uh, coaxing uh, senators who would ne- who really didn't want to vote for them <laughs> you know it's not a holy it's not a holy process it's not a saintly no. process it's a pretty gross process yeah and what i've always said about if you know building a populist movement and this is important you know you have your principles and your principles are, are critical uh and your the, the the principles of populist movements i say this in the book and it's this is really important for people to understand what is populism it's a transracial movement of working class people for for economic democracy so you can have a transracial movement of working class people that's for something else and that's not populism or you can have a you know a whites only movement for economic democracy and that's not populism either you know <laughs> just that you just pulled the poke in josh Hawley, right he ran against right to work in missouri right or he ran on right to work in missouri excuse yeah, me yeah well that's not very populist yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> so the uh so look but what at the end of the day if you want to build a large movement you you have to have your principles right and everybody has to know what they are but at the same time you have to be willing to work with people who aren't there yet. This is every mass movement in American history is built that way. So the, the, the populism was not just a political party. This is really important to understand. It was a mass movement of working mm-hmm. class people. They had been organized bef- before populism began. There was a movement called the Farmers Alliance. And it was like a labor union. It, if, mm-hmm. if you know what the farmers union is today, they're pretty big in Kansas mm-hmm. and, uh, and, I'm, and in Missouri as well. And uh, it, was, it was similar to that, only it was much, much, much bigger. Yeah. And farmers were, I think, a majority of the population at the time. In fact, I'm sure they were. They, they were definitely were. And they were signing up for this all over America in enormous numbers. And uh, uh, the Farmers Alliance would uh, send speakers around the country. They'd come to your local, you know, small town schoolhouse or whatever and lecture about whatever, you know, some economic subject or the gold standard or some aspect of politics or whatever. This is what they did. And they were trying to educate their members into, you know, to understand why farmers were so screwed. And it was a, uh, there were different branches of it. The main one was this kind of Southern Farmers Alliance, but there was a Black Farmers Alliance. There was a Northern Farmers Alliance, uh, a whole bunch of different ones. And they all uh, eventually all came together and formed this group, the People's Party. Mm-hmm. And uh, then the, you know, like the uh, various unions got on board to the Knights of Labor, certain unions within the AFL got on board. And so it was a it was a mass working class organization, but it came out of these movements. And there and then in the 1930s, you see the same thing, these labor movement that is that is uh, I mean, it's very important in like Kansas City local history when uh, unions are growing by leaps and bounds and people are signing up for them all over the place. And it, it captures the public imagination and everybody is forming unions in the 1930s and they're signing up with the New Deal and they're voting for Roosevelt. And it's a very successful time. And then in the 60s, you see it again with the, uh, the civil rights movement they're in the South, but they're going you know, from town to town and they're organizing people and people are signing up in huge numbers. And so there's this guy, um, an American historian called Larry Goodwin wrote the classic history of populism 
It's called Democratic Promise. And he thinks populism was the greatest moment in American history. It was the pinnacle. And we've been on a downward, downhill slide ever since then. This is basically how he sees U.S. history. And, uh, but he, he, he came to populism after being an organizer in the civil rights movement in Texas. So this is what he did, is he went around registering people to vote. And, uh, and he learned about populism by doing that. And people would tell him about this movement from the 1890s. And so he started studying it, and he became the world's great authority on it, wrote this famous book on it. Then he went off and wrote about the labor movement and stuff like that. And, and then towards the end of his life, he um, wrote magazine articles about democracy, you know, how do you, what is democracy? How does it work, et cetera? But he, he wrote about mass movements specifically. How do you form a mass movement? How do you do something like the civil rights movement or the farmers alliance or the CIO in the 1930s? How is this, how, how is this done? You know, why can't we do it now? And he, he, uh, this goes right to the heart of what it means to be on the left. He said, you have to practice. I mean, and he, he laid it all out, right? What you have to do. But he said, you have to practice ideological patience with people because the people you are, these are automatically, these are movements of poor people, of working class people. These are not movements of highly educated, you know, people with PhDs. Well, isn't that kind of the catch-22 of the left, right, is the fact that, and I think a, a moment for self-reflection and criticism that, you know, everybody on the left is sort of, you know, at least, you know, people who do, you know, commentary should take a moment to consider, right, is that you're right, that the, what, and, and I think that, um, you know, this, uh, the gap between like, oh, I'm quoting Karl Marx, and, you know, I'm talking about seizing the means of production, or I'm holding a sign that says capitalism equals racism, and anybody who disagrees yeah. with is, you know, yeah. a basket of deplorables, right? I and know. So well, that's, that's, that's your classic sectarian left, you know, that yeah. <laughs> where, where it's all about purity and it's about right. being, being right. And in some way that's become kind of massified. So I'm here in um, Bethesda, mm -hmm. Maryland, highly educated suburb, very affluent, very wealthy suburb of Washington, DC. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was Republican uh, back in the 70s and, and, and has flipped, much like Johnson County just did that. Yeah. We'll talk yeah. about that in a minute, I hope. But yeah. um, I have a question. About I, was, I went out there for the election. I wanted to see it with my own eyes. I knew Johnson County was going to flip. And I, I wanted yeah. to, I mean, I wanted to be there for that. Right. I wrote I'm the guy that wrote What's the Matter with Kansas. I had yeah. to see this with my own eyes. Yeah. Anyhow, so uh, uh, but but, you know, I, I spent a lot. Obviously, I'm here in Bethesda right now. And it and and people have a different idea of liberal practice of what it means to be a liberal and what it what they think it means to be a liberal is to be a better person than than the lower orders yeah. than poor people so you're yeah, not just you're not just richer than them and you're not just better educated than them you're a better person than them yeah. and that's that is exactly the opposite of what lawrence Lawrence Goodwin is talking about with populism and labor and all that. He's saying you have to have patience because to build a real democratic movement means you're working with working class people. These are people that by definition did not go to graduate school, probably almost certainly college. They by definition do not know the jargon. Uh, they don't, they, they haven't been instructed on these things, uh, you know, and to hold them up to, to hold this high standard and say, you have to meet this high standard before you can even think about joining our movement is idiotic. <laughs> you know, you're just not, well, you're not going to get anywhere. Yeah.
and and uh, yeah, and that's but that's where we are now. I mean, that's that's the Democratic Party. That's the and, left. Well, in I mean, that all goes back to what you said in Listen Liberal about you know the meritocratic thinking that's been installed in our minds and how yeah. that there lacks solidarity and that you know yeah. the way we consider solidarity is and solidarity is the opposite. Yeah. Of yeah. of what liberalism is today. Exactly. I, I I I shouldn't go be so negative. I want to exempt Joe Biden. I I I you know I think he's a I think he's a fundamentally decent man and. I, I mean, I'm not I don't want to have sound like I have high hopes for his administration or anything like that. But he, he, almost uniquely among the Democrats, he does not make these mistakes. Uh, he and Bernie Sanders and a handful. Yeah, of I agree. Are, he, he, he's really mastered that, like working class Joe aesthetic, whether or not that's he talks based that on, way. Yes. And yeah. he's not and he's not Trinity judgmental Bell. towards those people. And he yeah. likes to he likes to speak in union halls and that kind of thing. Uh, sort of unlike it's the opposite of Hillary in the basket of deplorable. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. And, yeah, sure. but whether whether he will actually deliver anything is <laughs> I, I, yeah. I have strong doubts about. Well, that. one thing that I feel like really is uniting both the right and the left when, right now when it comes to at least the working class is this kind of acknowledgement and hatred of the increased takeover of corporate America over all sectors of our economy. And I, I think that, you know, as Zach said, um, we're both living in Kansas City right now. Uh, but whenever I go back to Johnson County, you know, whenever I retreat from the Paris of the Plains back to where I grew up. I'm always I'm always struck by just the intense, intense corporatization. Like, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of always been that there way. Used to be like, an, there used to be a place called uh, it's still there. Actually, it's called Corporate Woods. Yeah, the, yeah oh, I know. I used to with deliver the, pizza to Corporate Woods every single day. They have like a keynote pizza. Yeah, they have a man. And there's there's a there's a neighborhood. So there's a neighborhood there called uh, Patrician Woods. <laughs> right near there yeah. and it's like i remember when that was built and i went out and photographed it being built this is in the late 80s and uh, i because i just thought it was so comical that you would that someone would name a neighborhood patrician woods it's like i live in rich guy hills yeah, yeah it reminds <laughs> me of uh, thomas pickety right patrician uh, capitalism right yeah, yeah 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 but it's just so in your face it's so gross yeah. uh anyhow anyway um, i'm just i'm just wondering talk what about Oh, I was just wondering, like your reaction to that, and if you think it has something to do with the fact that, um, you know, the Democratic Party has not only declared um, the suburban areas like Johnson County kind of its turf now, but so has corporate America seemingly. Do you think there's a relationship yes. there? Oh, of course. Well, we're living through right now. We're living through a, 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 what I think will turn out to be an incredible transition in American life in our politics, which I don't fully understand yet. Uh, I don't think any of us really understand because it, when I was growing up and when I wrote What's the Matter with Kansas and, uh, and my other political books, the number one fact that you had to understand about the Republican Party was that it was the party of business. Yeah, It was the party of money. And, and that was just like, that was America. That's who they had always been, you know, almost back to the beginning. Uh, they had always been that. And, and uh, you know, that was, that was the fact with a capital F of American politics. Well... Look what's happened. Hillary outraised Trump almost two to one. Biden outraised Trump significantly. Uh, all of these wealthy, uh, highly educated counties all over the country have flipped to the Democrats. Johnson County is actually one of the last ones to go. Orange County. Uh, I couldn't believe that. Orange County, California, yeah. which was, used to be it was. I mean, both Nixon and Reagan were from there. It's like it, it's it, it's it's the ultimate Republican yep. stronghold. Uh, flip Democratic. When I wrote What's the Matter with Kansas, I always assumed. Well, I always assumed when I was growing up in 
I'll just say it. I grew up in Mission Hills. We were not wealthy people, but that's where I grew up. And uh, uh, the people around me were extremely Republican. <laughs> yeah, that's the Rogers. <laughs> big crowd, big right? surprise, right? Yeah. They were. Ex- I mean, and 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 that made sense because they were the ruling class. That, yeah. I mean, they own Kansas City, and they own they own the state of Kansas, and uh, the and and like the governor of Kansas lived there, and the, and there was another governor of Kansas from Prairie Village, and the, and you know this is like that's that's what Repub- the Republicans that was Republicanism, that's who they were, and you, I would just look around me and be like, that's who they are. I remember I collected matches when I was a kid. I found my matchbook collection over the summer when I was in Kansas City, and I had one of them was a a matchbook advertising Barry Goldwater for president oh, that I, you know, I got from some kid's house in the neighborhood, 1964, Barry Goldwater. And this is the, you know, extreme right winger, you know, yeah. uh, was regarded as, as, as way too right wing. Well, Johnson County, that didn't bother them. They voted for him. Uh, I went back and looked at it. Johnson County voted for every Republican voted only for Republicans going back to Woodrow Wilson. That's the last Democrat they voted for was Woodrow Wilson. Well, they voted for yeah. Biden just now. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. So I went they out put there. Sharice Davis in office in uh, 2018. Yes, but she, her congressional, that's not an exact measurement because she, she's also Wyandotte. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, the congressional district is bigger than just Johnson County. Mm-hmm. But uh, she did pretty well in Johnson County. Anyhow, so uh, I went out there for the election and driving around, uh, you know, my old haunts. It was, you know, if you looked at the yard signs, it was you know, clearly, uh, you know, uh, you, those yard signs that say like respect science or, you know, they, oh, yeah. they list all oh, the, the light, black lives matter. They, water is science. All that. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. They, no, they, yeah. they list all the liberal causes except one, you know what I'm talking about? There's nothing about labor. There's nothing oh, about, yeah, right. <laughs> about, about like the minimum yeah. wage or, you know, anything like anything about work. Yeah. It, I know what you're saying about the, the other liberal causes, uh, you know, uh, around here over by the plaza. It's the is same real. Story. The news is it's yeah. like water is life. Love yeah. is love. You know, all that yeah. stuff. If you, if you walk nothing around, about, nothing about work, if you walk around like literally the richest neighborhoods in Kansas city, and I assume, you know, a lot of suburban areas are, you know, outside of the city areas. You, that's exactly what you see. Like, yeah, uh, I was taking a, it's, it's a kind of liberalism that is almost like it's perfect for these people. It's like, it's like perfectly cherry picked for, you know, mission Hills or whatever. Mm-hmm. Anyhow. So, yeah. So I went and looked at the, uh, the day after the Kansas results were mm-hmm. in, I went and pulled them off the uh, pulled it off the uh, uh, Secretary of State website and looked at the precinct precinct by precinct data. Biden won every single precinct in Mission Hills, and also in Prairie Village. Wow! And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, further than that, I couldn't I couldn't tell you because like Leewood is now so large. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's hard. To, it's I mean, when I was a kid, Leewood was was a manageable size, but now it's like this, like you know, it's like it's. It's like the size of Topeka or something. Okay, that's going that's going too far, <laughs> you know. But uh, anyhow, so yeah, that it blew my mind. The the ruling class, and so look, listen to what. Take a step back here. What we're talking about, and then after the election, when Trump refuses to concede and gets his supporters to storm the Capitol or whatever, and you start seeing all of these traditional Republican funders saying we're not going to fund the Republican Party anymore. Wall Street is cutting off the Republican Party. Guys, this is, uh, this is, it's hard to believe, you know, for someone like me, where this is something that I've written about my entire adult life, that the, the Republican Party is losing the rich. 
The Republican Party is losing the business community. How can this happen? And what happens next? You know, where do they go? I, I'm just I'm totally at a loss. And you look at and you look at the Democratic and then culturally, culturally, this consensus is even more airtight where, you know, uh, uh, the mainstream media, I mean, the, the sort of all of the kind of the, the people who dominate the industries that dominate American culture are, are today aligned with the Democratic Party. I don't want to say they're on the left because they aren't. Again, yeah. they don't they don't give a shit about labor. They don't give a shit about my issue. Well, that's one of the things that I also learned from you that was kind of a little bit of a heartbreak for me. So one of the first political books that I ever fell in love with, same with Gavin, was Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail, 1972. Yeah, that's a good book. Yeah. <laughs> and and what I learned from that was to love George McGovern because he was the only true candidate. You know, like uh, HST was very celebratory of of George McGovern. You thought of him very fondly and you know and of course uh, hey, he, just, he was a, he was a good guy i mean the uh the mcgovern commission made some mistakes but yeah, but mm-hmm. george mcgovern was it was it was a decent human being a, a really fine man there's no mm-hmm. no question about that and it it's a, it's that a shame what happened to him the, I mean, yeah you know you made that excellent point and gosh i can't remember which book it's in but you it's in listen liberal the, yeah great the grapes of wrath family right and um you know how those those and now those people would be the basket of deplorables you know, yeah, exactly. Um, and, and those are the people that we need to be reaching out with as a left. So I know we've gone way over the amount well, of scheduled time that we told yeah, you. But, 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 but you're, you're getting two, two things mixed up here. Okay. McGovern, McGovern was a really good guy on those issues. And he was a real uh, really in the populist tradition. And it is unfortunate that he got identified with this emerging what they called the new politics, which is all about the uh, uh, white collar, mm-hmm. uh, highly educated that's not who he was, but he, nevertheless, he he unfortunately be, became identified with that, and so did every other Democrat after that. Michael Dukakis, you know, John Kerry, Al Gore, all of them, mm-hmm. uh, and the only ones who were able to actually win uh, have been the ones who weren't identified like that. Like Bill Clinton came off as a man of the people, which is like crazy because then yeah. he turns out to be Reagan in disguise, <laughs> and and of course, uh, you know, Obama is uh, is elected during this. Uh, incredible downturn you know which makes him president and then and then and then biden but other you know no it's really unfortunate what happened to him but then the other point about about the uh about the jodes the family and grapes of wrath that is yeah that's in the people know and it's it is exactly right our culture has turned against those people in in a really shocking and disturbing way and uh, okay so i was just watching a documentary before I dialed you guys up. I was telling you about it before. Mm-hmm. And the, the guy in the documentary is trying to explain Trumpism. And he said, there's two statistics you have to know. The first one is Americans overwhelmingly hate and fear and mistrust their government. The second statistic is, and the, it, it's an economic one. He says, this is what it costs to uh, have a middle-class standard of living. And this is what the average American family earns. And it's less than half that. And this is, and then you know what he says? He, he says, you take these two statistics and put them together and what do you get? You get racism. It's like, it just, it, it's like, it's like. Wh- and these are, these are the people who are like science over everything. This is, this is a historian. This is a wow. historian saying this. And yeah. it's like, no, that is not what you get. What you get is things like populism. What you get is things like the 1930s. You know, what you get is, 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 is reform. You know, and, and he's like, no, no, this is when you get, you know, uh, uh, racist movements. 
It's like, yeah. it's just like, what is wrong with us that we can't, that we don't understand our own past anymore. Yeah. And we, we, we are so determined to think of, of, of especially white working class people, but working class people generally as, as, as irredeemable, you know, as, 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 as racist. Warmongers and racist. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what a, what a disaster for our movement and what a disaster for this country. Yeah. I mean, and, and I mean, yes, we've, we, we, uh, we dodged the bullet. Trump is gone. Hooray. I'm, I'm as happy about that as anybody I know, but if we don't figure this out and soon, this stuff is coming right back. Anyhow, there's a good, uh, well, I sh- we should probably say something optimistic to end this on. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess, well, well that, that, uh, Gavin, unless you had um, anything. Yeah, uh, I don't, I mean, we could go on for another couple hours, but I don't Oh, I know, I, you gotta stop. I, I have a family I have to yeah. cook for. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I guess one positive thing to kind of reconcile then would be, you know, we, we mentioned the, the history, the deep history of, you know, uh, farmers of uh, the Farmers Alliance and the, the Farmers of America and yeah. you know, agrarian politics being a real basis for the left and, uh, you know, working class people you reach over, right? The left loves to pay lip service to the working class, right? But they don't oftentimes know what that means because they're still in libraries and on college campuses. Um, <laughs> so I think that if we, you know, we're able to draw some- By the way, I used to write about strikes. I used to be, uh, it was quite a rude awakening when I, uh, or not a, a rude awakening. It was, it was a it blew my mind the first time I, I I covered a strike for a newspaper in Chicago and learned. Oh yeah, all about. yeah, and, and that was in the, the early '90s. Yeah. Anyhow, keep going. Yeah, and, and you know, and it seems that there's such a clear through line between uh, you know the need the the conversation right now to regulate and break up big tech and you know the you know never talked about, always diminished. Uh, you know, uh, just real bane on the existence of farmers, which is big agriculture. You know, it's uh, basically yep. guaranteeing that they lose money every year, that they're less and less able to, you know, feed their yeah. families. You know, for people in Kansas, this is common knowledge, but I feel like everywhere else, nobody understands this, you know, tremendous issue. Uh, how do we as the left, you know, draw that, make that connective tissue, right? How do people, uh, how do we draw that line and make that compelling uh, on, on the broader left? Well, uh, uh, part of it is that this is how you win elections. Yeah. You know, farmers vote and they, yeah. they know what their issues are and they are they are so angry about this stuff. And the, the, the problem is farmers gen- these days tend to vote for Republicans. Yeah. But you go out there. And, so this is nobody remembers this. In 2008, Barack Obama was it came out of it was a complete surprise when he won the Iowa caucuses over Hillary Clinton in 2008. And the secret to how he did it, he had been a, a, a state legislator in Illinois and he knew farm issues and he knew there's one surefire way to get farmers <laughs> you know angry and that was to talk about big ag and to talk about agricultural monopoly and yeah. he went around iowa and did this all over the place and then you know it's complete shock surprise uh he beats hillary clinton and uh uh and that's how he did it and he he uh, after the election was over, he was uh, he said, OK, well, I'm going to set up this commission and we're going to look into ag, big ag. We're going to look into these monopolies. And um, uh, they did nothing. They wound up doing yeah, nothing. I, about I was it. just saying that Obama was just as much of a faux populist as Trump, who's always called a faux populist. Obama ran on all these grandiose promises to working people and then did literally yep, nothing. Yep. I know. I, I know. But he at least he tried. So I, one of the things I came across recently here. So uh, Obama towards the end of his term in office was using the word um, populist in the same way that everybody else is to mean, you know, these, these dreadful things. But I found an earlier interview with him where he is 
you, he, he actually knows the history of the word. He knows what it means and he applies it to himself. He says that I'm a, he's a populist. Very Obama, very Obama move. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. But then like within a couple months, he's like calling Trump a populist and, and bemoaning it, you know, and all this. And he's completely changed his mind about the whole thing. Mm. Anyhow. Yeah, that is a very Obama. Move. <laughs> but uh, but he's a, he's a he, Obama's a uh, it's a fascinating period. I mean, he's a great disappointment in a lot of ways, but also he does. Um, uh you know, he, he does, he did understand the issues and he knew, he, you know, he knew how to beat Hillary and everybody else is going to understand that too. Um, yeah. In the same he, way that Trump knew how to beat Rubio and Ted Cruz, I think that they, you know, and, harnessed and essentially. Hillary, and let us not forget, he beat Hillary. It's yeah. just, it's still boggles. Well, the electoral college. Mind. Yeah. Like we were talking yeah, about. Through the, the exactly. Yeah. He didn't really beat her. Yeah. She got more votes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's been so uh, awesome speaking to you today, Thomas Frank, uh, as you know, we both said multiple times, we're so hugely inspired by your work and, uh, you're just such a, you know, a force in this, you know, modern populist movement uh, as far as redefining the word and, you know, helping bring it back into the left and uh, the goals that we're fighting for, um, you know, after the Bernie Sanders campaign, you know, it seems like a lot of the left is kind of in this disparate state of affairs, but I think we can learn a lot from the populist movement and knowing that history, like you said, I think is uh, going to be somewhat and very essential to, you know, forming another coalition that could actually be, uh, you know, come hopefully more successful than the People's Party was, but well, that's very nice of you to say that. I, I, I certainly hope that what you're that 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 what you've just described comes to pass. I think that would be absolutely wonderful, and I accept your compliments. That's very nice of you. <laughs> uh, well, uh, Mr. Frank, we certainly take thank you for taking the time to uh, you know take a chunk out of your schedule. You've been making the rounds on some really impressive bread tube shows. So for you to come on our little channel, it really meant a lot to us. And I also wanted to shout out your Gates cup or mug out there, the, the truest uh, barbecue <laughs> joint in uh, Kansas City. I love their sauce. Hell yeah. The sauce. That's good. Yeah, this is this is from long ago. I, I when I was in high school, my friends and I decided uh, this is in the early 80s. We decided that we were going to uh, make ourselves into authorities on Kansas City barbecue. Sounds like me and, <laughs> and Gavin. So, yeah, yeah. And so but it, it was different back then. It was very different. There was a whole bunch of them in this one part of downtown Kansas City around where there had been a stadium, a municipal stadium before they moved the Royals before they built you know the royal stadium way out in in uh, in the suburbs they had a stadium in downtown kansas city and there were all these it was the whole all the streets around it were filled with barbecue stands that were left when they tore the stadium down I, they're not there anymore but there were there were a whole bunch of them and they were all they were very competitive and it was all yeah. this homegrown you know these are restaurants like you know single what do you call that uh you know small business restaurants or whatever. oh my god and some of them were i mean they were incredible so anyhow oh, i always tell going, people the best barbecue you get is from somebody you know it's not from any of the uh yeah, it's yeah. not from any of the chains yeah the yeah but these are they were old they were old guys cooking this stuff and uh, oh my god those were those are some of the happiest times in my life. Anyhow. Yeah. Um, well, th thank you so much for your time tonight, uh, Mr. Thomas Franco. Uh, it was a great pleasure speaking with you. All right, Absolutely. guys. Uh, thanks a lot for having me. 